Good morning, everyone. Such a pleasure to see you all, and thank you for coming. Thank you for coming out to fellowship and worshiping the Lord together. It's such a blessing to draw near to our God who, who saves. We sing Hosanna. That means Lord save, that he would save and deliver, and he does. And praise him that he is so good and loving and powerful and kind that uh, everything that's desirable is in him. How glorious he is. Uh, so thanks to those as well who came out Wednesday in the time of worship. Thanks to the worship team that put that together. That was a blessing. And uh, looking forward to today, Genesis chapter 7 is where we'll begin. Let's pray. We praise you, Lord, that you are above all, that you are supreme, that your love never fails, that you forgive, that you have delivered us from the, the penalty of sin, the power of sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and that through him we have eternal life. And thank you for the abundant life you've given us that even though at times we might despair of life, that you are our life, that you are the lifter of our head, you are our shield, our glory. And we thank you for your word and how it, it just aligns us again with who you are and what you've promised and leads us to seek you and to trust you. And I pray that we would follow you faithfully and you'd be honored and glorified as we read your word and study it together in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you agree that people like to be included or at least feel included? Probably depends on the situation, but uh, one difficult part of planning a wedding or a party or an event is who to invite, especially when you have a limited amount of spaces a limited amount of seating, and there's a sense of obligation maybe to invite immediate family members or a desire to invite someone that you know cannot come, but you want them to feel included. So you'll extend an invitation to them to let them know that you're thinking about them and you want them to be there. They would want to be there, but you recognize that they couldn't be there, but you still invite them. And then there's some that just would be offended that if they found out that there was an event that they were not invited to, even though they had really no interest to go, they want to be included, right? They want to, to feel like they're important. Uh, the potential minefield of extending hospitality. Uh, and this was a thing in Jesus' day. This is nothing new. He spoke of festive occasions and parables where people said they were coming and then they backed out at the last minute. I mean, he already has the cow being cooked. It's, it's ready to feed, and people are like, oh, lame excuse. Couldn't come. Um, I bought a field, and I need to go check it out. I haven't even looked at it yet. Pretty lame excuse. Um, people that were invited last minute. People who sat in seats reserved for others that were awkwardly told, please, can you move? That's a reserved area, and you're sitting in the wrong place, and they, with shame, began to take the lowest seat of people cast out of the wedding for not wearing the appropriate attire. One parable Jesus told, a servant had extended his master's invitation to the blind, the lame, the maimed, and the poor, and in Luke 14, said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. And that's so true concerning the kingdom of God, that there is room in the kingdom of God. There's room, so respond to his call. Come to him and find life in his name. 
So in Genesis 7, we come to a passage where God had looked upon mankind. He saw that their imaginations and the thoughts of their hearts were only evil continually. Grieved by the wickedness that was on the earth that reached up to heaven, it demanded his judgment as a holy God. But Noah found grace in God's sight because he walked by faith. He trusted God. He believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. God commanded Noah to make this ark out of gopher wood and told him he's going to destroy the earth and everything on it. And he gave 120 years warning of this judgment that was to come. And Noah demonstrated faith by obedience. Real faith involves action in light of that faith. So God said, this is what I'm going to do and this is what you're to do. And without a cloud in the sky, without rain having fallen, without having seen a flood, it wasn't because of threatening weather, it was just because God said so, Noah built this great ship for the survival of man and beast. So this is where we are at Genesis 7, starting in verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of animals that are unclean, a male and his female, also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. After the ark was built at the appointed time, God told Noah, come into the ark. Notice that he doesn't say, go into the ark. God was inviting Noah into his presence. God was, was saying, I am going to be with you there. It's like when you go to someone's house and they meet you at the door, they don't say, go into the house. They say, come into the house. Come inside, come inside. Why are you still outside? It's cold, come in. Because that's where they're gonna be. Now, if you're house sitting and they're not around, they'd say, go in the house or the key is gonna be under this thing and that's where you go in because I won't be there to let you in. God's saying, come in, come into the ark. He's so personal with his dealings with us. And again, I, I emphasize that Noah's righteousness was not because he was just a great guy, because he did all the right things. No, it was by faith in God. Genuine faith evidenced by corresponding action. Obedience to God. Think of all the people that lived at that time. God looked upon everyone, and there was one man who stood out because he had faith in God. And something consistent throughout Scripture is the one who has faith in God is the one that God reveals himself to. So the one who trusts God, God is going to reveal himself, and often he tells of things that he plans to do to that person. Just like when God told Abraham that he was going to uh, destroy Sodom and Gomorrah with fire from heaven. Uh, when Jesus told his disciples before it happened that he would be betrayed, he would be arrested, he would be crucified and rise from the dead the third day. So there was this, this knowledge that God has that he reveals to people. Being the light of the world, God does not leave his people in the dark. He gives us light to follow him, enough light for the next step. It says in Psalm 19, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. So God illuminates our path. He directs our steps. He shows us the right way. He gives us warning of pitfalls. 
And he makes what was previously unseen and unknown known to us by his grace. God had told Noah in the previous chapter that he would cause all the animals to come to him. So they came. And Noah was to take seven of each of clean animals and two each of unclean, male and female. And this is the first mention of animals being put in these categories, which we see in the law of Moses in the book of Exodus. And since Moses wrote this, that may be why he is telling us this, just giving us more information. Also to bring seven birds of the air of each kind to preserve the species or their seed upon the earth. And he said, in seven days, I am going to cause it to rain for 40 days and 40 nights and destroy all creatures that dwelt on land. It's like God gave 120 years of warning and now an extra seven days of warning where they could come an opportunity for people to turn from their wicked ways and come to him. And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. To build the ark, that was a command. To gather food for his household and the animals, that was a command. To admit the prescribed amount of animals was a command. So God had given these directives that Noah was to follow. And it's an example of those who trust God will be obedient to the commands of God even in a world full of wickedness. He had been faithful in the little things and God could entrust this large task to him. Continuing in verse six, Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So Noah with his sons, his wife, and his son's wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood, of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds, and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two, they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. Noah was 600 years old when God brought the flood upon the earth. He was accompanied by his family, his three sons, his three daughters-in-law. And verse seven, it's such a shiny example of faith. They didn't go into the ark because the skies looked threatening, because the weather man had said, um, you know, it's, it looks like there could be some serious rain on the way. An unprecedented global event is going to transpire. It wasn't because the skies were dark or the winds started getting cold and like, ooh, we got to take some shelter. Uh, no, it was because God told him to. God told him to build the ark. He built it. God said, now's the time to come into the ark. And he went in. Everything seemed right in the world. The birds were singing. There's no reason to think it was overcast or gloomy at all. It looked like it was going to continue day after day as it always had since the creation of the world. Noah had already gathered the food for himself and his family. He was prepared for this and all the animals. It seems like after Noah and his family entered the ark, then all the animals were admitted into the ark by Noah. And I wonder, as people were see these animals in pairs going towards the ark, if that would elicit any sort of like curiosity, like what is this? These are all different kinds of animals that we normally don't see in this area, and yet they're all going kind of parading to where? And you started to follow these animals, and you see they're going into that large object, right? That ship, what is this? I expect Noah, a preacher of righteousness, would have told them what was going to happen. 
But we don't have to wonder if anyone decided to go into the ark because there was no one except Noah, his family, and the animals that came in. Maybe they saw the ark as restrictive and confining. Oh, I don't want to go in that place. That doesn't look very safe. I don't know why I would have to go in there. That seems like a waste of time. But they didn't realize that was the only way to salvation. That was the only way of liberation from death. They didn't know God. They didn't trust God. And they would not go in. They chose to not to go in. So God's salvation, God's deliverance, it's inclusive for all people. All can come. There's room. There is room for you. But it's also exclusive. There was only one way that people could avoid death and destruction of the flood, and that was to come into the ark while the door was open. And a day was coming when that door would be shut. There'd be no more admittance. And let's not limit reluctance and refusal to obey God to the unbelieving only. Because we can start like the unclean and the clean animals. We can say, well, Christians or people who fear God, they're always going to obey God. They're always going to trust God. But that's not always the case. We see that borne out in scripture many times. God spoke of his chosen people in Isaiah 1.3. He says, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider so he's like, my people don't know me. My people don't think about me. If your dog or your cattle was to leave the paddock, they would be able to find their way back. They know where dinner is, but my own people, they don't think about it. They don't consider me. If you were to give the definition of the wicked, right, you might talk about what they do. But listen to this in Psalm 10:4. There's a clear mark of the proud, wicked man. It says, the wicked and his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. The King James Version puts this in the opposite. It says, God is not in all his thoughts. That's the wicked, is the one who does not consider God, the one who does not seek God. And all of the sin is just an evidence of that fact, that we have not sought the Lord. We have not sought to heed God or to walk in his ways. So God's people, they ought to know him. They ought to consider him. Do you have an item in your house or in your possession that reminds you of someone? When you see that thing, you think of them, you consider them. Well, shouldn't we consider God who has given us life, who's given us every day? Shouldn't we consider the one who has given us a brain to consider, to think, and to know that he has made us and loves us and has revealed himself? Through Christ? Genesis 7, verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day all the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them, entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh which is in which is the breath of life. So those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. 
at the time appointed by God on the right month, day, the greatest catastrophe in the history of the world suddenly unfolded. The subterranean springs, the ground opened up. The windows of heaven, the rain came down. And it wasn't just for like a minute or a day. It was for 40 days and 40 nights. It's like a trickle turned into a torrent that washed trees and houses and people away. We've had a rainy season in New South Wales and Queensland and we've had flooding, but it's nothing compared to this, the destruction that was global here that God brought upon all the earth to destroy it. Noah and his family were safe with all the animals and they went in, it says in verse 16, and the Lord shut him in. There's a, there's a sense of finality here. It's like God shut the door. God shut it. I don't know if he made some great hinges on that door, exactly how it was done, but God shut him in. He closed it. They came in. It wasn't Noah shutting people out. It was God securing his people, protecting them, and effectively shutting out those who would not come in. Which side of the door would you like to be on when that door is shut? On the inside, where God says, come in, or on the outside? God told Noah to come into the ark. Jesus called sinners to come to him in faith. He claimed he was the only way to the Father, the only way, the exclusive way to salvation. Salvation from sin and eternal judgment. That that's our fixed trajectory. We are headed to destruction because of our sin. And in his love, he's demonstrated that by giving us a hope of eternal life through his suffering, through his atonement. And he's given us a path to salvation and eternal life through faith in him. Please turn to his words in John 10, starting in verse 7. We're going to turn to a couple of passages here of what Jesus has said. John 10, starting in verse 7 through 9. It's, it's amazing that God saves us from something, but also for something. You see that in the life of Noah. He saved him from destruction, and he also saved him for the preservation of life and to procreate and to protect the, the species on the planet. And he has a purpose for saving us from destruction and also for his abundant life so that we will live to glorify him now and forever. John 10, 7 through 9. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Sheep will recognize the voice of the shepherd, God's sheep. He says, hear and obey him. They respond to his call. The only way to pasture, that good grazing, safety, comfort, fruitfulness, and eternal life and rest, it's found through Jesus. You must go through him. He is the door to that, to that abundant life that he promises. The God who loves us has given us an opportunity today to come to Jesus, to trust him, to receive forgiveness of sins to be declared righteous by faith in God, to have that assurance of salvation, to know that you are born again, to know that you're saved, that we will escape the wrath to come and enter into the presence of God with joy. Like the, the blessings that are ours in Christ are phenomenal. I think about that period of time 
those days while the door was open, the flood had not yet come. So they're in the ark, the door's open, people could go in. Well, the door to eternal life and salvation is open today in Christ. Someday that door will be shut. Turn to the teaching of Jesus in Luke 13, starting in verse 22 through 27. And this incident is a great picture of how we can be asking the wrong questions and how Jesus turns that to better our understanding of what the real point is. Luke 13, starting in verse 22. And he went through the cities and villages teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, Strive to enter the narrow gate, for many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you began outside and begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us, and he will answer and say to you, I do not know you where you are from, then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. So this person asked Jesus, well, are there few who will be saved? Jesus doesn't directly answer that question, does he? He says, you should strive to enter in that narrow gate because there's many who want to get in, who will try to get in, but will be unable to get in because they're not going through the door. They're not going through the door while it's open. Right now it's open. Strive to be the one who is saved. You, you make sure you're saved. You're concerned if there's few that are saved. How about you knowing if you're saved? If you've gone through that door, many will seek to enter and will be unable. These will be Jews who heard Jesus preach. He said, we heard you in our streets. You visited my town. We saw you do those miracles. Remember me? You fed me those loaves and the fish. I ate of them. And I came to you the next day looking for more. Those are some of those people. There are people who go to church. There's people who can recite John 3.16, but they're not born again. They haven't entered into that door through faith in Christ. They imagine that good works and things could... Their efforts could save them. That they could earn their entry into the kingdom of God. But they have no part in Christ. It's only through faith that we can enter in. It's one thing to call Jesus Lord. And that's what people did in this story, right? He says, the master of the door, he shut the door. And they're saying, Lord, Lord, master, open up to us. And he's like, I don't know you. It's one thing to call him Lord. It's another thing, does he know you? Are you of him because he knows his own? Ah, my son, my daughter, I know you because you're of me. You're in me. The shepherd knows his sheep and Jesus knows those who are his. So come to God through faith in Jesus today. The door remains open for all by the power of the Holy Spirit. Picking up our passage in Genesis 7, verse 17. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. 
and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward, and the mountains were covered. For 40 days the rain fell, the waters rose, covered the earth, those subterranean springs were bubbling up, and the moment came when there was enough water around the ark to lift it from the ground, and it began to move. All the high hills and mountains were covered. The waters rose to a depth of 15 cubits over the mountains. And I think the NIV puts this in a, a good way in Genesis 7, 19 through 20. It says, They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 20 feet. So 15 cubits or so. And it struck me that because the ark would have been partially submerged and it had been in the water for quite some time, once they got out of the ark, they could look at it and say, wow, so the, the ark was that deep in the water and we never hit a mountain once. We went right over the mountains of Ararat without a problem. So at least 20 feet, those mountains were covered. It was a shocking, awe-inspiring volume of water that was released to cover the earth. Picking up in verse 21, And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, and every man, all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life, all that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of the air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. This was very effective judgment. Everyone perished that was in the breath of life on land. It says that all, all creatures died, man, cattle, creeping things, birds, the giants, the proud men of renown that had been spoken of in the previous chapters, the ones who imagined themselves greater than God, they perished in the flood. And Jesus affirmed that the flood wasn't just in a local area, but it was a global catastrophe. He said this in Luke 17, 27. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. So we have everything besides what was in the ark perished. Protected by God because he's gracious. It would be foolish to imagine that God was pleased or satisfied by the destruction of what he had made. He is long-suffering. He is patient. He is gracious. And he had been that way from the beginning with them. He's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. We read that in 2 Peter chapter 3. And the destructive judgment of God upon the world seems a monstrosity until we understand how terrible and wretched sin is, that this is its just due. We don't think a surgeon is vicious or horrible to kill bacteria by the billions in sanitizing equipment before a surgery so that the patient's protected, right? We recognize that, that that's actually sensible. That's for the good of the patient, the corruption of sin, it brought death as promised. God said, this is going to be the result of sin, death. And God brought it upon all humanity. He was under no obligation to save anything, but he chose to because Noah found grace in his sight. Hear God's heart to save careless people. 
in Ezekiel 33:11. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Speaking to his own people. Now, you guys, you've watched enough movies to see a revenge plot where you were cheering on someone getting what they deserved at the end, right? Maybe they didn't die, but they were embarrassed or humiliated or something happened that, that you're like, they got what's coming to them, and now I feel a sense of satisfaction about it. That's called the flesh. Our flesh feels that way. God's not satisfied by that. He wants people, rather, to turn from their wickedness, to not face those consequences because he is gracious and compassionate. He is merciful. He is not celebrating the death of these people. Look at it this way. God's willing to give people what they demand, what they want. He's willing to allow a person to live and die by their decisions. He showed that in the garden, right? He, he placed before Adam this tree and said, the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. You may eat freely of every other tree in this garden. This is the only one you are to avoid. And that was the one tree that we read him eating from. Is God to be blamed because man does not heed him or believe him? When God said, this is how it is. In Noah's day, he put the way of life and death before all the people on the earth. And he, this is the way you must go through this door to be saved, to be delivered from the flood. And God waited 120 years as the ark was being constructed and then seven more days just to give people that opportunity. All except Noah, his family, and animals chose to come into the ark and be saved. And God, I, I love that he's opened the door to everyone. It's not just to Israel. It's to everyone who will trust in him, who will believe on him, who will sense their need for him because we recognize that we have sinned. We recognize that sin results in death. God, who caused light to shine in the darkness, he's able to bring life out of death. Continuing in Genesis 1, 8, verse 1, Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven also were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. God remembered Noah not because he had forgotten him. Like we're like, oh, I just remembered. We say that because we forgot. That's not God. He doesn't forget anything. Um, but he took action with them in mind. It's the same word that we see in Genesis 30, 22, where it says, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. When we receive communion, as we will next week, following the service, that is a time to remember and to proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. It's not that we forgot about Jesus until then, but we remember him by acknowledging him in a special way to receive of the bread and of the cup. The rain had fall, fallen for 40 days and 40 nights. It says the waters billowed for 150 days before they began to recede. 
the subterranean flow of water was stopped. God caused this wind to blow over the water. And after the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat, it's generally believed to be in the eastern part of Turkey. That's near the southwestern border of Armenia and northwest of Iran. The previous location is unknown. I would think, and this is just me thinking, I would imagine that would have been a great source of timber. Um, So I don't know that, I I would have plundered it quite quickly personally because they didn't keep living in the ark. We see that they moved on. And uh, man, to have some rough cut timber at your disposal to build with, that makes a lot of sense. So uh, I, it hasn't, uh, there have been people who have made claims. None of those I have seen to be Um, really important for our study. But I love how the ark rested in the seventh month. It was brought to rest. It's like it was just placed there. It didn't run aground like Paul, right? Paul's on the ship and in that tempest, Eurycliden, and by the violence of the waves, the back of it was broken, and they're all, you know, floating, and they all survived. But uh, this was quite different. It just came to rest, just laid there with the preservation of the inhabitants in mind. So on the first day of the 10th month, the mountains were seen, picking up in verse 6. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Then he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned into the ark to him, for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days. And again, he sent sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him anymore. Forty days after the tops of the mountains were seen, And I don't know how much visibility he had out of this window from his ark, but he's very curious about what's the condition of the world, having been sequestered in there for some time, some 300 plus days. Um, God said when he went into the ark, but he never said anything about when he should leave the ark. And God had shut him in anyway. As we'll see that Noah did not depart the ark, because of any evidence he saw, but because God commanded him to. He left because God said so. At the same time, Noah was curious to see what was going on outside. And I think of that shipwreck where the the seamen, they put down, they they did uh, soundings to see how deep it was. They didn't want to run aground. They wanted to avoid that. Well, Noah used an animal to do a similar thing. He used what was at his disposal. He used birds. So a raven and a dove. The raven, he released it. It kept flying back and forth. It never returned to him. It stayed outside the ark. The dove, however, it says, found no resting place for her foot, and so she came back. And I love how it's put there. It says, so he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. So you have two different behaviors, right? The raven, it's like released, and it's It's like flitting to and fro, but it's not coming back. But the dove finds nowhere and it returns. And he takes her to himself and drawn into the ark. After seven days, Noah sent out the dove again. 
and she returned to him in the evening with a freshly plucked olive leaf. And what joy that must have brought to them to see we are going to have fruit, we are going to have oil, there is renewal on the earth. There is a hope for us now and for our descendants. We didn't plant that tree. We can trust that God will provide for our needs. It was that revival of life their souls hoped for. God had provided for them, and this was just a little token that they, could, they should keep trusting him, the one who caused life. You know, our lives, it's a gift of God to us, and we can choose to live like the raven. We're, we're fine to be saved from judgment, but w- without acknowledgement or consideration of God, not going to him, being content to be restless and to go to and fro from thing to thing, rather than return to the one who made salvation possible through his obedience. Noah was obedient to God, and it brought life to these animals. They were preserved. Jesus was obedient to the Father, and he laid down his life for us. Ought we to seek him? Certainly. When the dove did not find a resting place for her foot, she returned to Noah and was willing to abide with him, drawing her to himself. What a beautiful picture of the one who loves the Lord and trusts him. Jesus, obedient to the Father, and he draws us to himself, right? His loving kindness draws us. We can be born again. We can have a new life through faith in him. And get this. There's not only room in the kingdom of God for us, but God is content to dwell in us, to make his home with us. That is amazing and phenomenal. Turn to John 14, 22. You know, it's one thing to, to think about what it will be like to be in the presence of the Lord in heaven one day. But imagine if Jesus rocked up to your house and said, I'm moving in. <laughs> May I move in? Do you have a place for me to stay today? Think of how things would change perhaps in your household. You're like, all right, you get that room. You get the ensuite. We'll, we'll just move into this other room. We'll, we will uh, coordinate that. But there would be a bit of a change, right, in your lifestyle. If Jesus came to your house today. John 14, 22. It says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Wow. Like, how is this possible that you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And he says, well, if you trust in me, I will come to you and I will make my home with you. I will make you my abode. I will live with you. I mean, amazing that God would come to us, that he would be received by us, that we could draw him to ourselves because really it's he that's drawn us to him. When we, by the gospel, enter the door who is Christ Jesus by salvation, we have salvation through faith in him, the Holy Spirit enters us and abides with us. He keeps us. He causes us to bring fruit in season. We're compared in Psalm 
one to that tree that's planted by rivers of water that's fruitful in season, whose leaf doesn't wither, whatever does prospers. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit will be manifested in our lives and born. And every season brings the fresh hope of revival because it's God who is with us. He's with us. Jesus is our life. So strive to enter the narrow gate, not by your working, by believing in Jesus, by following him, by coming to him, by receiving him. Enter the kingdom of God while the door remains open. Who knows how many days you have left? They, they had 120 years and they had seven days. We don't know how much time we have. Will you open your heart to him? Will you receive him? And this exhortation is not just a call to salvation, to be born again for the first time, but to believers, because remember Jesus told the church in Laodicea that Jesus was outside knocking on the door, like he's not even in the church. The church was self-sufficient. They believed they had everything. They had everything going on. But Jesus said in Revelation 3, 20 through 22, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. I'll just stop there. He's standing at the door and he says, If anyone hears my voice, open the door, I will dine with him. I will have fellowship with him. And as we've received the Holy Spirit by faith, let's walk in fellowship with him. Let's choose him. Let's make room for Jesus in our lives. Let's make room for him in our hearts, in our thoughts. Let's consider him who has given us life. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you, you delight to save. Your heart is to redeem and to restore and to revive. And Lord, if you're on the outside looking into our hearts and our lives, I pray that we would uh, open the door and let you in that we would come to you even as those animals and Noah and his family passed through the door of the ark and were delivered from the flood. Lord, may we walk through the door of Jesus by faith and enter the kingdom of God, enter into the rest that you have for us. Thank you that you know our names, that you call us, that you desire us, that you haven't turned anyone away. And I pray, Lord, that we would love you as you love us, that we would be obedient to you unto death. And thank you that you are our life, that we will never see death because you've given eternal life to all who trust in you. Having given us such a life, Lord, may we live it for your glory. May we praise and honor and extol your holy name, which is exalted and magnified above all names. Thank you, Father, for the effectiveness of your salvation that we see throughout the whole earth, that there are people still on this planet. There are still birds and cattle and creeping things and all manner of life on earth because you preserved them and you will preserve us too. Thank you, Lord, for the testimony that we see in the world all around us, that we ourselves are, that you are faithful and you are a savior and you are a redeemer and that you love us. Thank you, Father, we praise you and ask for your wisdom, that we would have endurance in following you, and that we would open up our hearts to receive you 
to ourselves as you've received us and drawn us to yourself by your love. In Jesus' name, amen.